This episode is brought to you by DistroKid. I'm seeing red. Don't think you'll have to see my face again. Hey everybody, today's guest is Scott Russo, lead vocalist for the San Diego, California punk rock band Unwritten Law. Together we break down the hit single, Seeing Red, taken from their 2002 album, Elva. I told Scott that I love this song from the moment I heard it. Not surprisingly, Scott said that he wrote the song top to bottom in about 15 minutes, and the arrangement, lyrics, and melody were untouched during the recording process, save for some production elements. Scott recalls thinking that the song was just another album track, and not all that special, until the president of Interscope Records told him that he thought it was a hit and should be released as a single. The track showed true growth for Scott and the rest of Unwritten Law. He is really not sure where the song came from, from an artistic standpoint. Rather, he spoke of feeling like a vessel that somehow channeled this deeply personal and genuine tune. And who knew that Scott had a deep disdain for Guns N' Roses? I sure didn't. For all this and a whole lot more, don't touch that dial. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Well, hey, Scott. How's it going, buddy? What's up, man? How you doing? I'm doing great. It's, it's been a minute. I understand you're down in Mexico. I am indeed. Yeah, I live in... Uh... I live in Tijuana. I've lived here for about four years, and I'm born and raised in San Diego, but uh, it's like Tijuana's like South San Diego, but a little more dangerous, that's all. <laughs> yeah, well, you, you've always lived life a little bit on the edge, so it seems like it's perfect for you. It, it's very fitting. Right on. Well, you know, it's funny. I've, of course, known you and your band for, for geez, 25 years now, but every time I do one of these episodes, I go back and research stuff, and man, I, you know... I always kind of was impressed with my band. We had two major label stints. You guys had three. You went from Epic to Interscope to Lava Atlantic. So <laughs> that's pretty impressive. Thank you very much. I think there's a couple more. Like, it's funny. We happen to be down here this weekend filming for uh, uh, two clips in, T- in, T- in Tifos, um for the new Unwritten Law record. And like Wade brought it up. He's like, we've been on like six, late, six major labels. I'm like, it's been a lot, hasn't it? <laughs> I think we did two with Interscope and one with Lava Atlantic, one with Epic. There's some more in there. We have more records. You guys are like the 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 cat of the punk rock world with not you know nine lives. It's it's unreal. It was funny because my exact joke was like, I think it's like six labels, suckers, <laughs> like you know whatever. Like I don't know, but we've been very fortunate <laughs> to to have people help us make records. Yeah, yeah. Well, your you know your first record, The Blue Room, came out in '94. It was on Red Eye Records. It got uh, picked up by Epic. Uh, when you signed to them in 96, you released The Oz Factor, and that's when I became aware of you guys, because Greg Graff and I had heard he produced the record, and then I heard the single Superman, and, and uh, you know, that that's how I got introduced to Unwritten Law. So when we did inevitably sign to Epic, they asked us, I mean, you got to imagine, we're kids, we don't know anything about the music industry, you, you know, we're pu- literally sure. like punk kids from Poway, and punk hadn't even happened yet. So we're just the, the bottom of the barrel, you know what I'm saying? And so uh, when they asked us, to, you know, who we wanted to produce a record, and obviously one would be inclined to go like, oh, fucking Rick Ocasek or, you know, whoever, you know, he was a lot of time. Um, some of them were like, Greg Graffin, <laughs> that's who's producing our record. And I, if, if I'm not mistaken, I believe that Unwritten Law 
at least up to a certain point. Like we were the only band that he's produced outside of Bad Religion, so that's kind of cool. Yeah, to my knowledge, and and that's kind of a little bit surprising, knowing how the major labels were in the '90s. I I, I played that game. Uh, how they were, you know, especially your first record on Epic. Maybe they wanted a name to produce the record. That's pretty cool that they let you use Greg. Again, we were aiming in the dark. We didn't know what we were doing. So looking back, yeah, I was like, wow, they let a dirty, naughty punk band from San Diego record with this genius from who's living in Ithaca, New York. <laughs> He's a professor at Cornell University, so we uh, we had to go out there to Ithaca, New York, to go record the record, and so the band stayed in, in the house, and then I stayed at Greg's house, so I was actually living there with his, him and his family, and I mean, I straight up, I have a Bad Religion Suffer tattoo on my arm, so it's like, for me, I didn't even show him to like... After like we were done recording, I'm like, oh yeah, I know one more thing. Check this out. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, isn't that crazy when you when you meet your idols and you're kind yeah, of yeah. afraid to tell them, hey, I got I, I got your tattoo. It, it, it's a trip. But you know, it was it was '98 when you guys released the self titled record, and we were doing some touring with you guys then. I we were, believe we did the. Uh, I can't remember if you guys were on Warp Tour Australia. I know we did Warp Tour in the states together, but. There's a couple songs on that record, like Kalen and California Sky, and you you weren't just that dirty punk rock band as you called yourself. You guys were kind of branching out a little bit. It was becoming a little more a little, little more pop. It wasn't it wasn't as hard edge, and I love that record. And you were starting to pick up a little radio play. Quick question: That record came out in '98, and you guys were releasing uh, records pretty frequently then but it took you four years to get elva out in 2002 and that's uh that's the album that features c and red that we're going to talk about today so why the gap in there and i know you guys were on the road a lot i mean honestly i can't even believe i i can't believe it was only four years it feels like we release a record like every seven or eight years so that's i'm like oh 44 <laughs> that's fucking awesome uh quite honestly you know a lot of songwriters and a lot of bands are capable of writing lots and lots and lots of songs. And for me, when I'm writing songs, like if it doesn't make it to like the the, the, the level of where I think this, I can I can visually see around the corner and see where this is gonna go, but it doesn't make it to that step. And if I can't see around the corner and be like, oh, it's gonna be dope or whatever, then I drop it. So when we release a record, like there aren't B-sides. Like <laughs> we wrote 10 songs or whatever, maybe 13 songs in four years and- yeah. And that's what it is. And, and touring obviously would have a lot to do with it. You know, the other fact is we all live in different places and we always have, uh, you know, we all have families and stuff like that. And, and yeah, we're just not that substantial uh, songwriting band. We don't write a lot of uh, songs. We just kind of, if it's, if it's getting good, then we'll stick to it and then and, and figure it out and, and do the thing. Well, gotcha, and, and and also you split from Epic, so you you did that record. You went you went to Interscope for the '98 album, and and uh, so there there was a lot going on here. You guys were jumping jumping around labels, and you were touring a lot because I was there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Back in those days, we were out. touring like 260s. 270 days a year. It was wild, dude. I know. It's unreal. So uh, the album, Up All Night, was the, was the first single. And then, of course, uh, Seeing Red was the next song. And I was living in Tampa at the time. My listeners have heard me say this a ton. But at that time, 97X was uh, was the station. This is kind of, uh, we had the internet, but but pre, pre me listening to anything on the internet or, or, or listening to things on, on things like Spotify and YouTube. So I was still tuning in and, and keeping my pulse on what was going on at uh, Commercial Alternative Radio. You guys were getting blasted with this song. And when I first heard it, I was like, wow, the little punk band that could. I mean, this was just, <laughs> no, this was this was next level. I, I love this song, Scott. Thank the you first, very much. The yeah, first yeah. Time, from the first time I heard it, I was like, wow. 
this is different. And what's really cool about it is, and why I love doing this show, is I start to break it down. I realize, wow, the arrangement. And we're going to get into that in a little bit. But it's a very <laughs> weird. It's a very weird song, especially me as a songwriter. It's not. Uh, it's not like you're. you're, you're we'll, we'll get into it. But yeah, yeah. To me too. When they picked out a single, I'm like, well, that doesn't have three choruses and it ends in a verse. Like, what do you mean that's the, that's the single? Like, like, I know. And again, I've said this before on paper, it shouldn't work, uh, but it does. You had spoke about here's to the morning that came out in 2005. Uh, and you've had a couple records since then. The most recent is called the hum, uh, seven studio albums to date, still kicking it. And, uh, yeah, like I said, this song in particular, when I thought about having you on the show, there's a number of songs, Up All Night. You've got you've got great songs. Up All Night was was a big charting song for you. But this one, this one always hit me. I was like, wow. And I'm glad you got your uh, uh, what you deserve with this song because it to me it was a smash. Cool, yeah. I mean, it did well. It was number one in the country for four weeks. So we, that isn't just because the song was, was a great song or whatever. It's because it would just, it's, it's literally like the right place, the right time. Songs are falling off the charts and we have to be climbing to a certain ratio. It's all these moving pieces that get you to number one. It's just, you know, uh, we were just fortunate and lucky and the song was was good enough to, to get there, yeah. And I'll tell you, we were the last bastion of bands in the early 2000s that were getting signed to major label deals. It just, it didn't really happen. And all of us, everyone that we were running with on the Warp Tour, it's like everyone was getting signed, having having their moment. And you, you guys had your moment then and it, and it was great. Can you take us back uh, do you remember writing CN Red? Was it was it uh, something you had? You, it doesn't sound like you ever have anything left over. So was this something specifically written for the album Elva? You know, I just kind of write songs. Nothing's really specifically written for a, a record or to be a single, for, especially in that for that, in that, that matter. And this song in particular, yeah. like you know, as you know, as as a songwriter, some songs, um, you know, it takes you three days some songs takes you three months some songs take you a year to finish getting around it sing red ironically it happened in 15 minutes like i literally picked up a guitar started writing it and wrote the song through in like 15 minutes it was like i just just went i really uh it's the only time it's really happened that quickly that without any like really like almost like i was a, a vessel like I, I did, it took took me 15 minutes from the front to back to like sit there and pin it you know i didn't listen to guns and roses uh just because i don't like les pauls <laughs> and, and and there's several reasons but we'll just leave it with les pauls and uh so i never listened to, to guns and roses and as soon as i wrote it and i showed it to you know rob my band he's like he's like that's uh that's another song by guns and roses and i'm like I <laughs> what i don't listen to guns and roses uh, but and it's to this date I never got pinched for it so like whatever it is no, but, but I guess the chord progression but the chord progression is quite honestly not that original it's it's C C G C E C G D which is not like groundbreaking shit you know what I'm saying so right a little pa- uh, so, uh, he's like oh, that's patience by Guns N' Roses I'm like I never heard of it sorry dude <laughs> like said woman take it slow things will be just fine Wow, I'll tell you, I I, uh, I hear things like that all the time, and I would have picked up on it. I, I don't hear it, and I I, I, uh, I, <laughs> I like to think I got a pretty good ear for those things. I don't hear it, Scott, at all. 
I, I didn't hear it either, but then again, I didn't listen to that shit either. So, <laughs> well, hey, um, yeah, well, that, that's uh, I didn't think Guns N' Roses is going to be brought up during this uh, th- this talk we were having today. That's interesting. I can't tell you how many times I've heard this. My listeners know that some of the best songs are written very quickly. And when you say you wrote the whole thing, was pretty much all the lyrics done? Was the arrangement as what we what we hear on record, or did it go through, through some changes with uh, your producer? Zero changes. I, I, I literally picked up the guitar and started in C. I'm seeing red. Just because I thought that would be, in a lot of songs that I write, the opening lyric is, is, is really important to me. It has to be cool, and, and it can't be corny. And, and I like, I started, I'm seeing red. And I didn't know what the song was going to be about, quite honestly. Uh, Don't think you have to see my face again was kind of the original, the initial first two, obviously, lines of the song. And then I'm like, what is this song about? And then I figured out what the song was about. And I literally just penned it as I was writing the chords. I'm writing lyrics and next chord's that, next chord, okay, there's next one, next one. Yeah, and that was how it went. What that song is about, which is really surprising to a lot of people, isn't about me viewing someone else's someone else and like I'm seeing red. Don't think you have to see my face again. Like whatever. It's when I started writing the song, I applied it to uh, my wife at the time, and what she saw in me. So it was her vision of me, and so that's what the song is like. Is the is is from her perspective looking at me. In this time of my life, you know, I was very selfish and. You know, obviously partying a lot, touring so much. Like, you know, we were on, you know, like I said, like 260, 270 days out of 365. And I wasn't home a lot. Now, I was just being so, I was just fucking being a you know, 23-year-old dude in a rock band that didn't know a lot about life and about people and, and things. You know, I, you know, I started this, you know, I, I didn't have the greatest, you know, like I had, a, I had somewhat of a, lo- a loving family, you know, a pretty loving family, but it was, it was turbulent to say the least. So I don't have a lot of uh, great human communication skills, I, I'm, I'm, so I've been told. And so, like, um, this song in particular, Sing Red, which a lot of people think I'm talking about someone else, is literally about myself, about what I believe that she thought and or should have thought about me. And so that's what that song is about. That's interesting. I've, I haven't... Don't can't really recall a time when someone said that this is how somebody else was feeling, and I channeled that. That's an interesting take on on a song. Again, I don't think that she f- felt that or was channeling it. It's what I thought she should have been thinking about me. Oh, okay. I want to jump into the song now, Scott. The song's three minutes and forty seven seconds. Uh, the intro is basically a, a, a double verse right off the top with this haunting arpeggiated guitar part. Kind of sounds like it has like a chorus pedal maybe on it. It's a clean tone. I'm seeing red. Don't think you'll have to see my face again. Don't have much time for sympathy. Cause it never happened to me. I'm seeing red. Don't think you'll have to see my face again. Don't have much time for sympathy. Cause it never happened to me. You're feeling blue now. I think you bit off more than you could chew. And now it's time to make a choice. 
and all I want to hear is your. I want to hear is your voice. <laughs> oh, but you don't get that till the very end of the song, though. Oh, I don't, do I? You're, I stand corrected. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that was one of those kind of things like, you know, a choice, you know what the motherfucking next word going to be. It's one of those moments. That, that well, that that's one of the things I said at the top here. I said this song's clever for a number of thi- number of reasons. I wasn't going to bring that up to the end of the song. You just brought it up. But yeah, you don't get it there. It's cool. What's I'm happening? Teasing you, I'm teasing you. So, first two lines came out as clever words and I didn't really know the direction of the song. And then once I that gripped me, I'm like, what's this about? Um, see, I don't think you're going to see my face again. Don't have much time for sympathy right now. So don't have much time for sympathy at that moment. I'm still in my land because it's never happened to me. Because like at this point, I, everyone's just been Scott. You're the man. You're the greatest. Oh, you're the, you're so cute. Oh, you're a great front man. Oh, this, you know, oh, whatever it is, meaning like I, I haven't had to feel sympathy uh, or had people feel sympathy for me yet. And so that's kind of where that line leads to. Because uh, it never happened to me. Uh, you're feeling uh, blue blue now. I think you've been up more than you could chew. And then now it's getting, now it's, now I am, I've found myself knowing what the song is about and what I'm writing for the entirety of the song about. And now I'm starting to talk about, now it's coming from her point of view to me. I think you've been up more than you can chew. And now it's time to hear your choice. So it doesn't matter what I did. She still fucking loved me, man. And I was just not a fucking stand-up dude, which, you know, later in life and the stage of my life, like, I really, you know, I, I have a lot of regrets and, a, uh, and I do, you know, a, a lot of sympathy for the selfish that I, that I imposed on people, and this is one of those moments. And so now it's getting turning around into uh, my view of her, and, but all, it didn't matter, didn't matter, like, you know, I think you bit up more than you can chew, and now it's time to make a choice, Scott, and all I want to hear is your voice, Scott, coming from her. I'm gonna tear up a little bit. Like wow! Thank you for sharing yeah. that, man. That that was uh, some brutal honesty there. Indeed. Um, and then when it comes to the chorus, now it's just full her. You know, fucking. You think you're so fucking great. You know, if you want to do do do. I haven't seen. I'm, I'm sorry, I haven't seen your show. So do you go? Do you want me to tell you what the next part go in? Oh, we're oh, we're we're gonna go through the whole thing, but I want to stick with the verse here real quick. Okay, sure, sure, and, sure. and I'm gonna say it again. Thank you for going there. And talking about that, I appreciate it. The listeners are going to, they love when an artist truly gives from the heart. And that's what you just did. Uh, A couple things here in this verse. Halfway through, there's this little bass run. And then it goes into single bass notes. And there's a side stick on the snare drum with a subtle kick drum that syncs up with those bass notes. On the line, and now it's time to make a choice. The band stops. And then on the line, and all I want to hear is your, there's this cymbal that builds to a crescendo as the stereo guitars do a volume swell as we get into chorus one. This whole thing, again, you wrote the song in 15 minutes, the arrangement was what it was, but production here, with, with when you were in the, in the studio with Miguel, uh, do you remember doing this part and, and some of the things I just talked about, how, how that came together? At this time, you know, within studying lots of music, I was, lots of different formats of music, you know, I, I'm, I'm, you know, uh, I've been through so many genres and fucking phases in my life but at this time i'm studying the kind of the the um production and what i like to add and tell my bands here unwritten law and then also my band here in mexico is dimension the songs need dimension they kind of can't be both uh like not only lyrically but like and musically but like they have to have dimension so like teen spirit would have came into this nirvana's team spirit and so it's very small in the fucking verses and the chorus comes and just smashes you in the face, and that's exactly what I wanted yeah. to have. 
So I wanted to have real impact and real, real difference between the, the verses and the choruses. So that it's like, it's, and it's just like Teen Spirit Mate. Like, you know, it's like, you know, it's very small and then it just fucking slams. And production wise, that was, that was always foreseen and for, thought of in my head even before I got to, because I wrote it on an acoustic guitar. At that time, I just, you know, when I was writing, I was just strumming heavier for the choruses. And then when I brought it to the band, um, you know, we had to figure it out how to translate it from uh, Mina Guitar to Unwritten Law with distortion and production and so forth. So I knew what I wanted. I'm pretty sure that we had figured out the, the actual dynamics of the, band, of the Unwritten Law playing it before we got to Miguel. So we knew it was like, and I wanted something very small again. So it was just that uh, kind of like that uh, marching drum roll for the verses. Uh, that oh, be, yeah. That can be kept very, very small. You know what I'm saying? And then when the choruses came in, it had to open up with bar chords and, and big pounding uh, uh, hits. And so that's exactly what we did. It was quite simple. And um, it obviously wasn't revolutionary, but it did the trick and it did give the song itself that dimension, that real a drastic dimension between the verses and the chorus. Like you yeah. fucking knew you were there when it got there, you know? I'm glad you brought that up. The thing I love about this song too, there's no meandering like pre-chorus. to get. It's just like you said, it's two different worlds. You're from the verse and then boom, you're into the chorus where it's just everything is just, is just kicking you. You mentioned the marching band and we're going to get to that. That doesn't come until the second verse. That is awesome when that part happens, okay? The beginning verse is pretty simple here, but we get into chorus one. So follow the leader down when there's no place left to go. Maybe that's when you will know. Follow the leader down and swallow your pride and drown. When there's no place left to go, maybe that's when you will know. And this is a double chorus. Uh, You had kind of set this up a moment ago, but uh, go a little further. What's going on here? Yeah, so that was just really straight to the jugular. You know, I guess pandering would be a good word for the verses. I'm kind of toying around with you bit up a little bit more, too much than you can handle, you know, whatever. And then when the chorus comes with the music, comes that, um, uh, the chorus and with the music of the chorus comes that aggression. There's no more bullshit. It's like, you know, motherfucker, fuck you. Follow the leader down. Like, if you think, you know, you, you Greg Raffin or whoever your leader is, follow this motherfucker. You're going down straight up. Follow the leader down. Swallow your pride and drown. Like, cause you're, you know, you're so egotistical. You show up yourself, you know, fucking choke on that shit. And, and yeah, again, it's coming from her vision of me. And when there's no place left to go, maybe that's when you know, when everyone's gone, maybe you know that you're the fucking, you're, that's why. I got to tell you, I've heard this song how many times when I sat down, my first thing that made me kind of do a little head jerk was this chorus, this first chorus going, wow, it's a double, usually you save the double chorus for later. I'm in the land of get a verse, get, give you a half a chorus, second chorus, give you a full chorus, third chorus, give you a, a double chorus or a triple chorus with all these other hooks coming back in from, from yeah. previously in the song. 
this is why this song was so awkward to me. And when Tom Wally is the president of Merskill at the time, <laughs> Tommy's like, that's a single. I'm like, it's not, there's, a, it's no, there's only two courses in it, man. But yeah, so because there's only two courses, I didn't have the option to run the normal pop theory that you put into songwriting. You know, I give him a little bit and then give him the full thing, second course, then give him this extra exit, uh, you know, Joey. So yeah, so obviously because there's only two courses, I had to give you the whole thing immediately because it's only going to happen one more time in the song. Yeah, I mean, essentially you have four choruses. It, it's doubled twice, you know, and that's why you don't need to come back to it at the end. But man, when I was listening through this again, I hadn't heard it in a while, but I'm, I'm very familiar with the song, but not enough to where, again, the first chorus comes, I'm going, wait, this is doubled. I'm thinking, well, maybe they only did a single chorus the second time. And then before I even got to the end, I went, but no, it never goes back to the chorus after the bridge part. I remembered at that point, I'm like, geez, this is, this is definitely different. Yeah, yeah, and it, it is, and again, like, because it is not your typical pop theoretical format of a song, which is verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus, chorus, so I've been told, um, because it wasn't that, I would just it never even fucking crossed my radar. I never clocked it as being <laughs> a, a single by any yeah. means. Uh, I did know it had great dimension between the verses and choruses, but I didn't clock it as a single. And when Tom was like, dude, that's a single, that's it, I'm like, oh. Well, you're the boss, so let's see what happened. And he was, you know, turns out, turns out he was right. <laughs> like, fuck. The only change lyrically on the chorus is when it repeats the second time. It doesn't say, so, follow the leader down. That so is missing. It just says, follow the leader down. Otherwise, it's exactly the same. The stereo guitars, bass, and drums are in, and there's some really well-placed guitar feedback. And Scott, it sounds like in this chorus that the vocals are doubled. Do you, do you recall? Yeah, absolutely. They might have even been quadrupled and doubled on each side. I'm not sure there isn't any harmonies in it. It was definitely correct. Just, it, it, there was it was definitely just an anthemic thing, and the melody because it is it's, it's jumping octaves. If you're from, of course you're familiar. When yeah. there's no place, it's like it was just it was just yeah. an, it was an anthem, and so for me, I didn't need <laughs> it to be harmonized and doctored up. It needed to be like we're all in this together kind of vibe. And because the, the melody is very elementary with those, without just the jumping octaves and keep keeping in, and uh, you know. I'm glad you brought that up. I have that written down. Yes, you you don't need it there. There's certainly other parts of this song in the verses. You could have had some subtle harmonies, but there's none in the song. And I think you an you answered why. I think that's really cool. It, it, it and it doesn't need it. Yeah, well, it's it's just cute because I was just we just played this festival in Canada, and I think we we're fucking sound checking, and we had to sound check that for some because I don't know why because well, we needed to do the double guitars. And I'm listening to Chris. I'm like, Chris, are you, are you putting a harmony on that now? Because we have the acoustic version of the song as well. The acoustic version is very different. I'm not sure if, you, if we're going to get into that. But the acoustic version has a new melody for the chorus and it has a harmony that's very much like the original chorus in the original song released on, on Interscope. And so, but he is trickily, very, very cleverly just put in like a, a new harmony for it. So when we were soundchecking in Canada, I'm like, are you doing a harmony to sing, right? He's like, yeah. I'm like, that's fucking dope, man. Like, like, I've never heard that before. He's like, yeah, that's cool. Well, I haven't heard the acoustic version, but uh, we're going to take a listen to that right now. So follow the leader down
Yeah, some other things uh, in this chorus. The vocals, as you mentioned, are doubled. The drum groove here is just killer. And on the last two lines, when there's no place left to go, maybe that's when you will know. On those lines each time, the octave guitars come in on those two lines. At the very end of the chorus, it goes straight into a four-bar reintro. Drums, bass, and clean guitar from the top are back in. The drums are playing a really cool marching band snare pattern. That's that's what I put in my notes, and you even echoed that a moment ago. I, I would call it a marching band snare. And then there's a cool guitar swell that's panned off right that leads into verse two. Scott, at the top of the song, I had mentioned that that arpeggiated guitar part that starts, it's haunting. There's a lot of elements in this song that I would call haunting. That guitar feedback and those swells that are here. Did you hear all that in your head? Or again, was that something you were kind of playing within the studio? Because it, it makes the song for me. So Steve Morris, one of our original guitarists, uh, when I'd written a song, he'd put in the, this extra note in that C and then held it when he went to the G. So you can't see my fingers, so he's like, bo no, no, no. And I would have never pegged that note, but he put it in there, and I'm like, that's fucking genius. Can we hold that, sustain that throughout the, all of the chords? Yes, we can. Cool. And that's, what the, that's where that haunting riff comes from. Um, and then the swells were basically me just taking a guitar and, and hammering on an octave and then swelling with my, my fingers, hitting the octave. And you, I, you have to hit it, if you notice when I play it live or, or whenever, is you have to hit the... It's, it's why I'm singing. I have to hit the octave before I get to the note and then start swelling at when, the, when the, the downbeat of the note comes. And that's what you're hearing there, and that's what's played live. Yeah, yeah. Hey, everybody, don't go anywhere. We got lots more with Scott Russo after a few words from our sponsors. Looking to elevate your music career? DistroKid is a digital music distribution service that enables musicians to distribute their music to online stores and streaming platforms such as Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube Music, Amazon, Tidal, and many more. DistroKid collects earnings and payments, sending them to you, the artist. With DistroKid, artists unlock a world of possibilities. From easily paying collaborators with splits to securing your music with DistroLock, DistroKid covers all bases. Plus, you can promote your releases with HyperFollow and create eye-catching visuals with a Spotify Canvas generator, all for free. But that's not all. Introducing the DistroKid app, now available on iOS and Android. Artists can manage their releases, view streaming stats, and withdraw earnings, all from the palm of their hand. And for those looking to perfect their sound, check out Mixia. With its simple interface and customizable mastering options, artists can make their music sound polished and professional within minutes. And don't forget about Instant Share, DistroKid's newest feature. 
Share large files securely with collaborators, producers, and more, ensuring your music streams at the highest quality. Ready to take your music to the next level? Download the DistroKid app and explore their suite of tools today. Plus, listeners can enjoy 30% off their first year by visiting distrokid.com slash VIP slash Demakes. That's distrokid.com slash VIP slash Demakes. Hey, everybody. Satan here. I know what you're thinking. Jesus Christ, Satan has a podcast now, too? No, no, that's not it. But I am here to tell you about a podcast, and it's one that's all about my favorite band, Punchline. Not the band you expected me to say, right? You probably figured I'd like Slayer, or maybe some backwards Beatles records or something. Those are okay, but you'll usually find me rocking out to fan-favorite Punchline albums like Action or Lion while I'm torturing dead people for all of eternity. Punchline's podcast is called A Band Called Punchline, and it's super entertaining to listen to this documentary-style look back at the 25 years of my favorite band. Honestly, I'm really feeling like I'm getting to know these guys, and their story is amazing. I'm so ready for them to get down here. I have so many questions. I gotta give them credit for catching on to my whole 37 thing, too. There's a reason why they're my favorite band, and if you listen to their podcast, they might become yours, too. A band called Punchline is available wherever you listen to podcasts. Check it out, and I'll see you all in hell. And now, back to the show. A great song is a great song on its own. You pick up an acoustic guitar, some guy sitting in a bar playing a song. You know, if you were to hear this played, it would it'd be great. But it's those little things, though, in this particular version of the song that, that to me make the that make the song. I mean, it, 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 I'll use the word again. It, it's haunting. It, it's it's really cool. Verse two. I'm gonna read these lyrics and have you set these up for the listeners, Scott. And foolish lies. Well, can't you see? I tried to compromise. Cause what you say ain't always true. And I can see the tears in your eyes and what you said now can't stop the words from running through my head and what I do to get through to you, but you'd only do it again. There's certain songs that you write that you mean, you know what I'm saying? And there's certain songs you write that are just clever or sound dope and, and whatever. And this song, I fucking meant it, man. Kaylin was another one that I meant. And this is one thing that struck me when I wrote Kaylin. Cause that was my first top 20 single or whatever. And I'd, been, I'd written like two records or whatever. And I was, I, I didn't know I was a songwriter. I didn't know I was in, didn't punk, again, punk hadn't happened. And I was just writing songs that I thought people wanted to hear what was cool and whatever. And only until I stumbled upon Kalen, which isn't the most prolifically crazy song, but what that song does have. And it's the first time that I wrote a song that I've meant. I meant what I was saying. So I believe I have this theory that subconsciously listeners attach themselves to real scenarios. Kaylin being the first one that taught me, I'm like, oh, because I didn't think Unwritten Law would play that song because it was a love song for my, written for my daughter. Yeah, now I know that you're the reason that I'm here today. And whenever you're here, just stay near, we'll be out. 
That song's awesome, by the way, Scott. Thank you so much. Appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. And so it was, it was a gift. For, it was a gift for my daughter, and I just I'd sing it to her at home, you know. And that that was it. I think it was, that was on the Black record. And we got to the Black record, you know. I remember. I think that was on Interscope as well. Because I remember Stephen Levy being Tom Wally's best friend, going, "Hey." You don't got a single on this record. Do you have any more songs? I'm like, yeah, I got this one. Yeah, and, th and at this time, I did have a couple extras in a, in a bag. Got this one, got this one, this one. He's like, nah, 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 nah. And he goes, you got anything else? I'm like, well, I wrote the song for my daughter. And I played him Kalen. And he's like, he's like, there it is. I'm like, dude, there's no way. My band, at this time, my band is a, a heavy punk rock band or heavy band rock. That's the record you guys changed a little bit. I felt it. And to me, I was like, I haven't even shown my band this song. There's no way they're going to play this song. It's too lovey-dovey. It's not going to happen. They're like, dude. And we remember, we were in a studio in LA. They're like, dude, go in there and show them this song. And I went in there and played. I'm like, hey, he wants me to play you this song. And I played it for the band. And they're like, what? You've been sitting on that? I'm like, yeah, it's not unwritten law. It's not an unwritten law song. Like, and however getting to the, the the point is that i meant that song seeing red i fucking meant like i meant the words and so coming into the second verse now now i'm you're fully in her name is jody um so now you're fully in jody's like mindset to me and, and looking at me and so if you want to start lyrics uh, and foolish lies well can't you see and foolish lies well can't you see i try to compromise because uh, what you say and it was true because i'm lying you know uh, and I can see the tears in your eyes because I'm emotional always. And um, uh, I can see the tears in your eyes. Uh, and what you said, um, you know, because I talk shit. You can see what, uh, and what you said. Uh, can't stop the words from running through Can't stop the head. words from running through my head. Like, you know, I, I, I'm pretty prolific with, with, with words and lyrics, man, for better and or for worse. And what I do to get through to you, she's saying, what, I, what, what, I, what can I fucking do to get through to you? Uh, you know what, but Scott, you'd fucking only, if, even if I could get through to you, you'd only do it again. You know, and, she, and it's, ah. it's true. And so, and that's what that is. A couple things here in this verse. You know, the first verse you get, don't think you have to see my face again, don't have much time for sympathy, because it never happened to me. This one, it's because what you say ain't always true, and I can see the tears in your eyes. Instead of, I can see the tears in your, ooh, something that rhymes with true. I noticed the rhyme scheme. It only jumps out on paper when I'm dissecting it like this. As a listener, it doesn't really. But was there any thought to that? And this second verse was, was different rhyme scheme-wise than the first one. No, nah, mate. Uh, well, yeah, yeah. Well, I definitely don't like to use the same rhyme scheme in two verses, personally. Yeah. You know? Uh, and so I, I, if, if I'm in O's in the first verse, I'm going to be in E's and A's in the second verse and or whatever. Gotcha. And uh, again, because this song came right out of my chest... Uh, fuck, man, I got to tell you, man, I, I wasn't really thinking. I was sincerely just writing, like playing and writing yeah. as I was going. Hence, I mean, it, I, I might have spent 25 minutes on it, but it was it was a very, very short time that I penned this song. It was like the, sh the shortest song I've ever penned. And so when I do interviews and all this kind of stuff, like, you know, like, uh, how did this song, how, how long did it take you? And, you know, again, some songs take you fucking three months or take me three months to finish. And some songs take me three days. And this one was like, you know, fucking write out i mean i was I, I put the pen down and i didn't stop until i was finished writing the song it yeah. was weird it was wild no and, and again again i believe it and when i say i believe it now my listeners have heard me say this before i had a producer one time i just didn't want to sing this song we'd already cut it on a previous record and he's like you know i'm in the vocal booth he's like i don't believe it I'm like what do you mean he's like i'm not believing what you're singing you know and and listeners to your point i i truly believe with all my might 100 percent, all my heart 
that people can hear that. They can hear that sincerity in music. That's why some things work and some things are contrived and fake and they just don't work. They can feel that. In this second verse, the drums are still doing that uh, snare pattern from the reintro. Clean guitar and bass. Uh, those guitar swells are now circling right and left. It's a cool effect. And I always dissect these songs in headphones because that's when I can really get into it. And I love that swirling sound. The third line here, because what you say ain't always true, the melody changes on that line. It's killer. True. You do this little triad there, and it's just that subtle thing on that line. Cause what you say ain't always true. Again, do you recall any of the producers in the studio with that, or was that something you just kind of did there? That was, again, this song came right out, and it's, it, there was nothing changed from in conception to recording. The melody, yeah. it was identical. I don't, I have this weird fucking, I have so many weird theories. One of them is, is that, you know, it's may, maybe not be me. Like it's not me and my brain doing this, is I am just a vessel. Now I'm just picking up a cosmic FedEx that's being sent to me through, from the universe and whatever. And this is one of those moments that I truly believe I was a vessel. Like, you know, obviously I've got s s some, uh, a little bit of skill in, in melody and lyrics and songwriting or whatever, but this one was given to me, you know what I'm saying? And it didn't change from yeah. conception to studio whatsoever, melody or lyrically. There was not one thing that was altered. That's awesome. Well, dude, you, you took a big jump in four records from where you guys started to this song. And, and uh, I didn't mean it as a knock. I was asking, did, did anybody you know say, hey, change us up here? Because, man, that's, uh, that's something that younger songwriters typically just don't do. Or, or if they do, it's an accident. And this doesn't sound like either one of those. Uh, a couple more things about verse two I thought were cool. <laughs> On the last... The second to last line, and what I do to get through to you, on the word do, there's these four knocking sounds. It almost sounds like, I wrote my notes, it almost sounds like you're banging on, on a, the underbelly of a submerged ship underwater. Do you know what I'm talking about? And what I do to get through to you. I almost feel like it's a, maybe a guitar delay, like the guitar went tick, 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 tick or something. But it's, It might have been a guitar, like a uh, muted guitar pop, pop thing. I don't know, but again, if you, if you listen to it, the first thing I kept rewinding, I'm like, it sounds like you've heard, you know, the noise I'm talking about when the ships and you, you bang on it underwater. It's like a tick. It's like got this, got this sound. I don't even know how the hell to explain it, but that's what I thought there. And then I noticed something else on the very last line, but you'd only do it again on that line. Unlike the rest of the verses, I, it sounds like a, a single vocal. It sounds like it's doubled on that line. Do you recall? But you'd only do it again. Yeah, it is doubled. That was a choice, like you'd 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 uh, you'd you'd brought up earlier. Is like there's no harmonies, there's no this, and so for this, because it was so stripped, because uh, the the changes in verses and courses are so dramatic. I know. I I, so I want to say I tracked uh, uh, harmonies for it just to you know make shit colorful, um, but it didn't have the same impact. And I wanted the lyric itself mm -hmm. to have impact. And so just to give it the song a bit of production and or dimension, at least in the vocals, I fucking doubled, doubled up. So you real so it's gripping you. So but you yeah. know, but you'd only do it again. So that was a choice. That was a choice not to put a harmony there and to double it as opposed to having it solo and singled. That's cool. Well, on this last line here, uh, verse one was a little more uh, had that had that crescendo coming off the top with with the cymbal buildup. But here you get this really cool drawn out legato drum fill. It's just the the fill is awesome. It leads into chorus two. 
Chorus two is another double chorus, much like chorus one. On the last line here, maybe that's when you will know. The no is held out over the bridge. And the bridge, uh, I'm also calling this an eight-bar musical interlude. It's the same chord pattern as the chorus, but it's strummed. It's not staccato like the, like the, the, the big guitars are in the chorus. There's this cool noodly guitar lick. And then halfway through, you say, oh, oh, yeah, uh, vocally. And then the whole band stops on the sixth bar. The stereo guitars ring out over a drum fill. And you say, ooh, ooh, kind of leading into what I'm calling here, Scott. I don't know. Is this verse three? Is this an outro or is this a coda? This is verse three, straight up. <laughs> or all three. Verse three. <laughs> verse three. And then I guess verse I'm done. Verse three. Verse three. And I guess I'm done writing the song. <laughs> I really freaking hate guitar solos. I just feel like, like, check me out. I'm fucking, I can do this, you know, like, uh-huh. so I hate that. And so for the song, I'm like, hey, man, I don't, I don't want to my guitar players. Um, and Steve would have taken over this, 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 this job. I don't want a guitar soul solo. I want a, a melodious riff. I, I just want a melody. And so that's what the noodle is, is like, you know, if something very, very, very simple nothing check me out like no no no, like fucking hey check this out i'm ripping here nothing just something that keeps your the melody going yeah i called it the the noodly guitar lick you know i I think it's i think it's perfect for and it's it's not a solo per se and just to clarify scott it is an eight bar interlude bridge i said the band stops on the six bar you get two more bars where where it's kind of breaking back down there and then we get into what 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 we've agreed on now to call it verse three i'm with you on this one i'm going to read these lyrics and have you set these up for us well i can confess i don't know what to make from all this mess don't have much time for sympathy, but it never happened to me. You're feeling down now. I don't know where I'll be when you come around. And now it's time to make a choice. And all I want to hear is your voice. Yeah, man. 
<clears throat> and just finishing the thought one more time, her telling me that she loves me, <clears throat> and that's it. And, you know, ooh, I confess, I don't know what to make from all this mess. Because, uh, fuck, she get, she get messy. She get messy for everybody in every relationship, especially when you're married to a fucking 23-year-old drug addict, fucking B-list punk rock star, you know, like, she was messy. We were wild, man. Our band was wild, and we were wild, and I don't know make it from all this mess. It's just, you know, life in general, relation, the relationship. Uh, it was loving and, and, and all those things as well, as, as every as relationship should be, but it was, it, was, it was a mess. And so, I don't know to make from all this mess. Don't have much time for sympathy, but it never happened to me. So now it's like, she's she, now she is taking the powerful stance in the song and the relationship. Now it's her like saying it to me, like, you know, but it's never happened to me. Uh, and then she continues on. You feeling uh, down now? I don't know when you, when you, when you fucking finally wake up, I'm not sure where I'm going to be. Nonetheless, I still want to hear your fucking voice, you know, and that's, and that's what it is. Well, there's a, a bunch of stuff here. Um, first of all, when, when this song, I remember the first time I heard it and I still get the same sentiment when I listen to it. It's funny. I don't know if you feel this way because you're way more attached to it, but it's uplifting at the end. But man, it's melancholy. It's so sad, but like it's uplifting at the same time because it ends on that major chord. And it's just like this thing. And you know, go back to that big, big chorus like the rest of it. But a number of things here. Um, that marching band snare uh, is in with the bass and those guitar swells up until you hear the word sympathy. And that's when the arpeggiated guitar comes back. I love that, that it's not there off the top. You know, you held it back. Yeah, yeah. Again, these are production choices. And so because it's such a simple song, obviously five chords, the same five chords throughout the whole song, producing-wise, you have to build uh, dimension somehow. And so, yeah, it's just it, uh, hip-hop uses this a lot. I use it in everything. It's just fucking muting things out and then unmuting them at certain points and so on and so forth. Uh, the other thing here, the vocal treatment, the delay on the vocal, it's not like it in the other verses. It gets really spacey here at the end. The vocal treatment's killer. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, do you recall that uh, in, in the mix? It's very different from the other verses. I'm not going to lie. I don't. I didn't think that we treated the third verse any different than we treated the other two, but I'm quite sure you're right. No, you did. It's, it, it's magical, man. It's so cool. I haven't heard the song. I mean, for the, the record recorded version of the song in, you know, fucking 20. I don't listen to my old records and all that kind of stuff. So I haven't heard it in so long, the way it was recorded, I, I don't know. But I, I don't remember off the top of my head us treating the third verse uh, uh, vocally any different at all. Man, that's weird. I, I, I cruise around listening to Less Than Jake records all day in my car. That's <laughs> <laughs> weird. <laughs> I don't. I don't. Joking. My, my audience knows that uh, I've made that joke before. Um, <laughs> but uh, the on the line, and now it's time to make a choice. Uh, there's this cool, subtle snare fill with like a cymbal hit there. And then that last line, all I want to hear is your voice. Everything stops, but it's... We start to slow down a bit, just to unwind, unravel the song. And now it's time to make a choice. And all I want to hear is your voice. Right. 
right, in the last line, there's two bars of a new arpeggiated clean guitar part that comes in there. It's kind of the first time you're hearing it. And then it ends on what I wrote down was a C sharp. So I'm assuming you guys were tuning to E flat because you're calling it a C. Uh, well, the, the last chord is a D. Uh, a C, all I want to hear, G is your voice, oh, is this D. So yes, we are, we do, we do cheat. Yeah, we do tune down a half step. Um, <laughs> no, no, that's fine. That's want to make sure we, we were talking about the same thing. And then I'll tell you what else I love on that last chord. When it goes to that clean chord, there's a really subtle kick drum that hits right with it. That's how the song ends. It's just one little kick drum. And then I wrote here, which we've already talked about it, but I wrote that you finally, you finally get to, even if you, you kind of knew what rhyme with choice in verse one, you get voice here at the very end. All I want to hear is your voice. I mentioned earlier there was some clever things within the song. That being another one that uh, you know you finally get the it, it kind of uh, it kind of gets the tie in at the very end of the song. Yeah, yeah, it's just uh, closing the thought process and just and ending it. And I think if I remember correctly, in the first verse, for some reason, even live when we were rehearsing before we recorded it, it, it didn't feel right to use the, the the word voice in the first one because I didn't feel like there was enough time. And all I want to hear is your. I just wanted that. I, I didn't want anything to take from the down the, the downbeat of the one of chorus one. So I didn't want yeah. no vocal there. I wanted the fucking power to hit. That's when hit a punch and, and having a, a word or a lyric over that part kind of took away the impact of that moment. And then in addition, as, yeah. you, as you graciously had said, is like I give it to you at the end. And it makes it have, it makes the, lyri- the, lyrics, the lyrics themselves have impact. I've talked about this with other guests on the show. You know, uh, a lot of the guests, many of the guests I've had on the show are my friends or my peers or people I've met. You know, when we sit around backstage, Scott, you know, we'll be talking about our kids or we'll be talking about what time our set is, but I'm not going to sit there and ask you what CN Red's about, you know? Like, even I'd hate though you I might think it. <laughs> <laughs> Typically, you don't do that, you know? So this is this is really cool that, that you sat down uh, on my show to break this down. I meant everything I said. I, I've always loved this song and thank you for uh for opening up uh how you did i know i know that it it, it, st- it still gets you emotional and and uh that's uh that vulnerability is, is really cool that you were able to to express that is there anything you'd like to leave uh the folks out there with what you got coming up what, what's happening yeah man i can tell you i, I there's some shit i want to talk about <laughs> um let's do it let's, let's do, do it, it. we're gonna do this shit Unwritten Law released its first record, uh, studio record in the, in, in the last 11 years called The Hum about a month and a half ago. Uh, please check it out, man. I put every ounce, of, every ounce of my soul and being into this record. It took us four and a half years to pen from front to back. It's 13, 13 new songs. It's, it's everything that I could give, especially in the climate of like rock, punk rock. I feel like everything's a bit sterile or contrived or... I think there's a lot of soul, and so I, I definitely wanted to make sure, obviously, with, with everything else, wanted to have melody and hooks and all these things, but it had to be real, and I'm very, very proud of this record, The Hum. It's out now everywhere. We, we released two songs as singles before the record dropped just to awaken the audience and let people know we weren't dead and we're still around. So we released Ghosted and, Mag- and, and Beggars, one real music video and one lyric music video that's out on the interweb right now, and just... Uh, on Sunday, we filmed our performance part for a, a double video, small movie for Magnetic, the first real single, and The Hum, the title track of the record. 
Uh, it's going to be a small movie with Tyler Posey from uh, the the TV show Teen Wolf um, on MTV. Oh, cool. Oh, cool. Is the main is the main star in it. He's a apparently he's a huge Unwritten Law fan and. And then, so Unwritten Law just came down here on Sunday to Tijuana, and we recorded the perform the musical performance parts to add into this on Sunday at this uh, very historical movie theater uh, right here, just behind Revolution in downtown Tijuana, where it's from the '40s. So the lobby still looks all it's beautiful, looks intact, and everything else. And then you go to the movie theater, and it's fucking looks like post-apocalyptic. It's empty. There's no roof, and the walls are all crumbled. But they still have like. They do like these crazy kind of like at the Hollywood Cemetery, you know, thing where they film, they have movies there. They still have like projected movies on the walls where you can bring in your own booze. And, and it's just fucking wild. Well, I walked in there the other day watching um, my bass player from my band El Funeral here in Mexico, watching him play. And I'm like, what the fuck is this place? Like, this is beautiful. This is wild, man. I'm like, someone's got to film something here, like anything. And so I'm very, very excited about this. Um, you know, uh, we will start doing press and publicity for it in about two weeks. They're editing it right now. And that's what I'm really super awesome. excited for. We don't tour until January. Um, we do a couple runs or a, a couple shows out here in California, I believe, in January. And then we have uh, Costa Rica and Australia in February. And then we'll come back and, and redo the United States uh, on the other the East Coast. Um, a little bit, we'll probably hit some, a little bit of Texas and so on and so forth, but, um, that's it right now. We're just getting, we're really setting up our content and everything else for our publicists to go, go to work with this little movie. Cause it's, it's now I'm not saying it's revolutionary or anything. Um, but it's, it's fucking really special and it's really cool. And the concept is fucking genius. And, you know, um, I'm, I'm really excited about that. And, and that's what's up. That's what's new with me. El Funeral, check it out. It's a sixties reggae band here in Mexico. I have all um, musicians that live here in my, my neighborhood. And 60s Reggae meets Dick Dale meets Portishead. That's what El Funeral sounds like. El Funeral Music on Instagram. We haven't really started posting shit yet because we're just getting started. We start recording in October. And then The Hum, man. The Hum is out everywhere. Check it out. Awesome, man. Well, hey, thank you for sitting in with us. I really appreciate it, Scott. That's what's up, man. Thanks for having me, man. Hey everybody, I hope you all enjoyed that conversation with Scott Russo. That song you were just hearing, that is Magnetic. It's from the new Unwritten Law album called The Hum, so you should all check that out. But in the meantime, don't go anywhere. We got lots more Chris to Makes a Podcast after a few words from our sponsors. Bowie, Dylan, Marley. You've heard the names and maybe you've heard their songs, but what about the stories behind the records that make titans of music like these so universally loved and important? Join me, Josh Adam Myers, host of The 500, as each week I go through a different album from Rolling Stone Magazine's 500 Greatest Albums list from 2012 with an incredible lineup of comedians, actors, and musicians talking about how the music has impacted their lives. New episodes of The 500 come out every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. Do you like to laugh, geek out on music, and learn all about that band or artist who had that one song back in the day, but then seemed to fall off the face of the earth? If so, you need to subscribe to One Hit Thunder. 
Together with an array of interesting and hilarious guests, we do a weekly dive into one-hit wonders like Eiffel 65's Blue, Crayshon's Gucci Gucci, EMF's Unbelievable, Delamitri's Roll to Me, Los Del Rio's Macarena, Musical Youth's Past the Duchy, and even Patrick Swayze's She's Like the Wind. So are you subscribed to One Hit Thunder or what? As Desiree would say, you gotta be. And as K7 would encourage, you gotta come baby come and join in on the fun of the One Hit Thunder podcast. As we near the end of the show, here's a band you might not know. Welcome to this week's Band You Might Not Know. If you'd like your band to be considered for Chris to Makes a Podcast, all you have to do is email your best song via MP3 only and a short bio to band you might not know at gmail.com. This week's featured band is Gone Stereo, a pop punk band from Long Island, New York, who recently signed with Negative Approach Records and released a two song single. Here's a snippet of their song, Don't Think I Forgot About You. Rap with Chris and Chris. Chris, that was a pretty cool one for me. I grew up on Unwritten Law. I think I told Scott I've been listening since Oz Factor, but in actuality, I think I've been listening since Blue Room because I believe the song Suzanne was on a comp back in the day, which I think was on both of those albums, maybe. Anyway, that's irrelevant. What's important here is that I've loved Unwritten Law, especially as you brought up that self titled album from, you know, the, the black cover. Yeah. Man. That is a beast of an album. It's a great record. And that's when, you know, like I, I kind of uh, uh, had, had told Scott that that's when things started to take a turn a little bit. Of course, that song Kalen is on there. kind of has a loop, yeah. a loop kind of drum beat. It's, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll just say what it is. It sounds very 90s, but it's unlike anything that Unwritten Law had done up to that point. Uh, as an artist, I completely got when he was like, I don't know. I've had producers say, Chris, you got to show him this song. I'm like, ah, it's just really left to center of what we do. Yeah, but it's great. You should show it to him. And uh, that's when they started to branch out. By the time they got to Elva in 2002, they were writing songs like Seeing Red. I think maybe Kalen was that bridge to be like, oh, we can do this. We can have range in our music because no doubt about it, they were like a faster punk rock band they were a southern california punk rock band but then to show that range yeah kaylin definitely had to be the bridge to see in red i see the direct correlation there yeah sure and it was funny i had no idea where he was going with uh, the guns and roses thing and then <laughs> it's like i hate guns and roses like wait we're this is coming out of left field and then he explained and you know me chris i'm all i'm you know with my ear i'm always like you know trying to oh this song sounds like that i never made uh, never made that comparison i thought it was kind of funny yeah i don't think seeing red sounds like patience whatsoever as a as a real stretch i i think anyway i don't hear any any similar melodies or, or anything and if you're talking chords i mean the same chords have been used in a billion songs so you can't say that really yeah and in terms of being dark 
you know, this is a pop song. It, it, it's pretty major, but it's just, I'll, I'll use the word yet again, it's haunting. There's something about this. And I was hooked from the very first time I heard it. I don't even recall if I knew it was Unwritten Law when I first heard it. I remember hearing it on the radio and being like, wow, what was that? And uh, very shocked that it was them, but but not surprised. Yeah, there was a big gap or what seemed like a big gap at the time. Now, four years between albums doesn't seem crazy long to me. But at the time, it just seemed like everyone was banging out albums left and right. And four years seemed like a long time. But I remember loving this song when it came out, too. And Chris, I was really surprised that he said he had no idea that this was a single at all. Yes, maybe it's a little bit different of an arrangement. But the first time I heard it, it sounded like a big song to me. Yeah, and, and, and say what you want about the suits at record labels. A lot of them knew what they were talking about. You know, Tom Wally, of course, was the president uh, after Interscope. He went to Warner Brothers, and he oversaw our anthem uh, and, and with the OutCrowd records. And I, I got to know Tom pretty well. He had been in the business forever. Very smart guy, and, and he picked the right one. You know, they let off uh, this album with a single called Up All Night. I, I like the song all right. It was kind of... I don't know, poppy punkish and and uh, I don't know, a little maybe a little lighter than some of their earlier stuff. Uh, it, it was again an okay song, but when I heard "Seeing Red," that just that 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 was it for me. This is such a good tune. I mean, there's feeling and emotion in this one for sure. And Scott even said it. He said he really meant this song, just like he compared it to Kalen. He really meant that song. It was a song for his daughter. He really meant what he was singing here when he wrote it. He wasn't thinking. It was just kind of pouring out of him, which, once again, one of those songs written in under half an hour, you know, whereas other songs might be a grueling process of days or months. This was a song that just came out of him. Yeah. And I'm, you know, not not trying to out him here for some visible tears. Of course, the listeners at home don't see uh, what I'm seeing. We, we see each other on Zoom and Scott even admitted he's like, yeah, sorry, man, still gets me choked up. You know, he ha- he was visibly moved by it 20 years uh, removed after the fact. And. That's that thing about songwriting that <laughs> unless you're a songwriter, it, it's hard to explain that to somebody. It, it's cathartic when that comes out. And then when you're listening to it back, you realize, oh, wow, I didn't even know I had that in me to write something that personal. Well, yeah, a song itself that you wrote that, like he said, meant that much to him can take you back, let alone being on a podcast with somebody reciting the lyrics right back to you and asking you about it and asking you to expound upon it. I'm sure that opens a lot of, I don't know, metaphorical boxes for people that maybe they've they've kept shut, but then you kind of got to reopen them to talk about it. And uh, I know Scott's proof. And like Scott said, he hasn't heard this song in however many years. And I made the joke again. Wait, you don't listen to yourself? I drive down the road, listen to my band. And you, you don't. You you record something. You, you listen to it when you're getting the mixes back and you spend some time with it. And, and then you move on. You uh, it, it's you know, I, maybe some bands do it. I've never met anybody that, that uh, you know, drives on the road listening to their stuff. Stuff. So here's something that he hasn't really probably thought about in a minute. And it, uh, whether it opened up boxes or old wounds or whatever, he, he was moved. I listen to my band songs when they're first done for a while. <laughs> you know, of like course. before they're out, before they're out and just you, you got to feel it how the listener listens to it. But yeah, it's rare that you're going to go back and like jam to your own album from years ago at that point you've played those songs so many times that it's like oh god i don't need to hear these songs anymore but that doesn't take away 
any emotion or feeling that went into the writing of them. Did I ever tell you about that? I want to say I talked about this on this show, and if I did, stop me, or you can even edit this out. But I ever tell you about the time I was at the Hard Rock uh, Cafe restaurant uh, in Budapest? No. Yeah, I was there with a had an off day, and my bus driver and I went out to eat, and all of a sudden on the big screen TVs, the She's Gonna Break Soon video came on. Uh, and, nice. <laughs> and I looked at the <laughs> I looked at the Hungarian couple next to me. I said, "Hey!" They looked over. I go, "That's me on the TV," and they they gave me this odd look, and they went back to eat their food like they didn't get it. <laughs> yeah. No, it's seriously me. <laughs> That's awesome, man. I you may have told me that before. That's really awesome. <laughs> but yeah, typically. Yeah, the, the the song comes out, you just get it mixed, you listen to it for a while. But yeah, this this definitely took Scott back. And um, I, I like that he was just, you know, very, very forthcoming. Just like, yeah, this is how I wrote it. I wanted this song to have two choruses, you know, have them doubled each time. I didn't want the, to come back to the chorus at the end. And doesn't sound like it got messed with too much in the recording process. It sounds like it was pretty much his arrangement uh, with the added production elements that we talked about. Right, definitely. And hey, man. It's been a long time since Unwritten Law released music, and they just just recently released this new album. And I heard that song Magnetic from the album on I my new music playlist on Apple Playlist. It's like running on the treadmill, and I heard it. I'm like, who is this? This sounds familiar. And it was Unwritten Law, and I was like, whoa, this is good. I mean, dude, it's hard to not release music for as I mean, I don't know how long the gap was. It's been a while. And to come back with something this good is impressive. Uh, always been a fan. It's been 11 years. Their last record, Swan, yeah. came out in 2011. So it's been it's been some time. And yeah, to come something back with something that strong, I have not heard it yet. I'm looking forward to checking it out. Yeah, and speaking of coming back with something strong, if you're enjoying this podcast right now, we can come back with something strong, a.k.a. the After Party Podcast, right now if you're subscribed to our supporting cast. That's right. Head over to chrisdemakes.com where you will join our supporting cast for a price of a cup of coffee or a beer for uh, Chris and I. Just feel like you're, you know, you're, yeah. we're out one night and you're, you're cheersing us with $5 or $10. We'll give you bonuses of the After Party and you'll be supporting the podcast you know and love. Chris, you are absolutely right. And you know what else? People should go join our Facebook group. Look, I know Facebook's a little out of fashion now, but the Facebook group for Chris Makes a Podcast is a lot of fun. It's a great place to talk about music and meet some cool people. That's right. We're up to 4,500 members. I can't believe that. Thank you for the support. It's been insane. Each and every one of you, thank you so much. And uh, yeah, give me a follow on Instagram at less than Chris D if you could. And I want to thank this week's guest, Scott Russo, for sitting in with us. And we'll see you next week. Hello out there. Yes, we're out there, everyone. I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. Together we host None But the Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. Bruce and E Street Band are on tour right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes. We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's Magazine founder Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Nimba the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much! We'll be seeing you! Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talk to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. 
I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like.